Our Lord and God, we come before you in Jesus' name. We once again, Lord, are beyond ourselves. We are out of our elements. We are once again out of our depths. As we, Lord, by your grace and by the Spirit's help, as we approach the the wonderful majesty of your existence, which is other than and unlike our existence, we pray that you give us help. We pray that you give us guidance, that you give us grace, that you once again condescend yourself to us, lisping, as it were, to infants who barely understand. Give us strength. Give us listening ears. Give us believing hearts. Help us to obey. We ask all of this for the glory of God, and I do decrease so that you may increase. I become less so that you and you alone can become more. I pray that you and you alone are glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, I greet you in the name of the Lord and welcome you on this Lord's Day as we continue our series, First Things, a study through the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 3. The last time that we were together, we we launched our boat. We're using our boats as an analogy. We launched our boats away from the the introduction of the book of Genesis and began rowing into the, the depths of the creator's existence. We learned that God does not exist in the way that we know existence. We know existence as created beings. We, as created beings, know existence in terms of being sick or being well, being hungry or being well-fed, being happy or being sad. That is how we know existence. God does not exist in those ways or on those terms. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. And God is incomprehensible. God does not exist in the way that we creatures exist. And God accommodates, as we learned last week, God accommodates himself to us so that we might be able to, in some way, understand him. Now, We don't know God in himself as he is within himself. We only know God through his energies or through his workings in creation. Those things that he has done here in time and in creation. Namely, how he has revealed himself to us in special and natural revelation, as we spoke about last week. Special and natural revelation. As we rowed our boats away further into the depths of the mysteries of God, we were confronted with the aseity of God, the aseity of God. God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit are self-existent, self-sustaining, independent, absolute, sharing one undivided essence God is in need of no one and in need of no thing. He is independent. We are dependent creatures. We depend on food, on air, on water to sustain us, on rest. God depends on nothing. 
God is self-sustaining. He needs no one and he needs no thing. He sustains himself. We learned of the perichoretic communion of the triune God. We stood in amazement at the mutual indwelling union and communion that the three persons of the Trinity enjoy with one another. Remember this from last week. The father eternally generates the son. The spirit proceeds from the father and the son. The son, the spirit magnifies the son. The son magnifies the father. The father pours out his love on the son by the spirit. Everything the father wills to carry out the son. Everything the father wills, the son carries out. Everything the son carries out, the spirit brings to completion. There is this, this perfect circle, this perfect tri-unity and communion between the Godhead. Are you confused? Good. You should stand in amazement at that great truth that I just explained. And, and, and trust me, I didn't do a very good job at explaining that. That's the best we've got. The triune God is in need of nothing. They have mutual union and communion indwelling within one another. And yet God in his infinite love and in his infinite wisdom eternally willed to create a people for his own goodwill and pleasure. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Today, brothers and sisters, by the help and strength of the Lord, we will continue to row our boats, as it were, into the depths of the mysteries of God as we consider the creator's existence. Listen, outside of outside of space and outside of time, the creator's existence outside of space and outside of time. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis one, one. This is the word of the Lord. And you may know this by heart, but I want you as you read this verse to consider the things that we have talked about and will talk about in light of this simple verse that our little ones even know. This is the word of the Lord. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning. God. Created. The heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. When we try to explain the creator's existence, as we are attempting in our feebleness to do this morning, we are constantly going to be out of our depths. Our knowledge and our language will always be insufficient because We only understand existence from a particular perspective, the perspective of created beings. We only understand existence from one perspective, the perspective of created beings. And and brothers and sisters, might I say to you this this morning that as we study through the series, as we row our boats, as it were, deeper into the mysteries of God, we will not, if you're taking notes, we will not circle We will not finally arrive at a place where we finally declare, I completely understand God now. I get it. We're never going to get there. So if you're on this boat with us and you're saying, are we there yet? As my son did when we drove to San Francisco. Are we there yet? 
We didn't even get on the five freeway yet. Are we there yet? We actually didn't even get past Nord Road, which is on Stockdale. We, we didn't even get that far. Are we there yet? We're not there, and we're not going to get there. So enjoy the ride, but we're never going to get there. This will never be the case. As a matter of fact, we, we pray that at the end of this series, we pray that you know God better and that you discover that you actually know him far less than you thought you did. You know him better, but you know him far less than you thought you did. We will learn that we know so little, and yet we are learning more and more by the grace and help of God. This is the study of the infinite one, brothers and sisters, the one in whom our souls delight. We will never, ever come to a full knowledge of God, ever. With that said, I would like to begin by asking you a few questions. Here's the first. Where is God at this present time right now at this very moment where is god where is god at this moment here's another one for you and how long has he been there wherever god is at this particular moment how long has he been there where is he and how long has he been there one may say well god is in heaven duh and yes, you're right. God is in heaven. But is God only in heaven? Has God confined himself to the created space of heaven? Is he only there? If you say, well, God's in heaven only. And if he's only in heaven, how long has he been there? And if we say that he's only in heaven and has always been in heaven, then we must also ask, but isn't heaven a created space? And didn't heaven begin at a particular time and isn't time something that is created by god so then when did all that begin today we are going to seek to explore with the help of the holy spirit that god does not exist in space and in time which is our first point god does not exist in space Brothers and sisters, God does not exist in space the way that you and I exist in space. God is not limited by space. He transcends space. What do we mean by space? We are not talking about outer space, first of all. We're not saying out there in the great beyond outer space, the space outside of the earth. When we speak of space, we're speaking of spatial dimensions, places, locations, Distance here and there. God does not exist on those terms and in those ways. Think about your existence in space as you know it. Think about your existence. Ways that are completely normal to you and I. When we think about existence in space, we can only conceive of the idea of being here or being there. That's how we know existence in terms of space. When we think about existence of space, we can only think about existence in being a, at a certain place and being completely there in that location. Are you with me? For example, you are sitting in this building. On that side, in that row, in that chair, that's where you are spatially. That's where you are. You are occupying that space, that location. 
you are presently occupying where you are. You are not at this present moment because you're here occupying your bed, which some of you would like to crawl back into right now. Are you? You're here. You're not occupying a seat in front of the the, the television this morning preparing for the NBA NBA playoffs. Are you? Warriors are up with 3-0, by the way. You're here. You're nowhere else. That is how you and I know existence as created beings. Being somewhere and being completely there, brothers and sisters. God does not exist in space the way that you and I exist in space. You know how you exist. That's all you know. God doesn't exist that way. God does not exist the way that you and I know existence. So then we must ask, so then where is God? In relationship to space, location, where then is God? We affirm God transcends space and at the same time fills all of space. God transcends every location and at the same time fills every location because God exists independently and freely from creation outside of creation. His existence is not limited to any kind of location. He's not limited to any spatial boundaries. We exist in space. We exist in locations and we are limited because of our creaturely created beings, creaturely limitations. But God is not limited. God is not limited by creation. Question, why is God not limited by creation? Because God is free from creation. He's not created. He's the creator. He's free from space. He's free from limitations. He's therefore free to fill all of space. God is omnipresent, someone might say. Amen. You've heard of the word omnipresent, have you not? Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. You've heard of all these omnis. The omnipresence of God is commonly known as one of God's perfections, one of his attributes. But he is far more than omnipresent. Think about it. What does omnipresent mean? Omni, meaning all or present. Right? Omnipresent means filling all of space. But God is more than that. Why? Because he transcends all of space. God is not just filling all of space, brothers and sisters. He's also transcending. What does that mean? I don't know. God is transcending all of space. He not only fills it, he transcends it. So don't miss the point that when we say, yes, God is omnipresent. Don't just stop there. Understand what you're saying. Not so fast. Think about what you're saying. When you just say he's omnipresent and he transcends all space as well. So don't just stop with the, are you hearing me? You you got that? Don't just stop with God is omnipresent. Oh, he is so much more than that. Because omnipresent means to fill all space. Brothers and sisters, he, he transcends even that. What if you could add up all of the space? What if you can add up all of the space that you say he fills all of? Would God be limited to that space? No. He transcends that. Bigger than that. More than that. Could God be confined to all of the space that's been added? No. 
No, it is true that God fills all space, but it is first because God is free from all space. God is not bound by creation. He is free from the creation. What did the psalmist say? Psalm 139, 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The psalmist confesses, God is not limited to space. There is nowhere in all of creation where God is not found. And yet God is not limited to that space where he is found. We cannot say God is in heaven, so therefore he cannot be present with us here. Oh, we cannot say that God is in heaven. Therefore, he cannot be present in Sheol. God is at all places at all times and also transcends those spaces. God does not exist in the way that we know existence. This is encouraging. This is comforting. And this this helps us to avoid two extremes and heresies as well. What are those? The the extreme is believing that God is either all there in an absolute sense or believing that God is not there in an absolute sense. Are you hearing me? The extreme is to believe that God is all there in an absolute sense. And the other extreme is to believe that God is all not there in an absolute sense. Let, Let me help explain that 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 for you more. There are two extremes that spell these out for us. That first one that God is all there is called pantheism. Pantheism. Oh, you are familiar with pantheism more than you realize. Pantheism identifies God with the universe or regards the universe as a manifestation of God. This is heresy, meaning God is in the world. Maybe you thought this way. God is found in every rock. He's in every tree. He's in every animal. He's in every bug. He is the wind. He is the water. He is the rain. He is you and I. God is located in everything because God is everything. That's pantheism. Pantheism pantheism believes that God is everywhere in an absolute sense in creation. And that sums up his existence. That everything that you see sums up the existence of God. That's who he is. Oh, let's take this a step further because you know this better than you think you do. Let me quote it to you. You know the movie. You think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and every tree and creature has a life, a spirit and a name. You don't know it yet? Well, let me keep going. Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon? I'm not going to sing it the way she does. Or ask the grinning bobcat why he grinned. Do you know the movie now? Pocahontas! In that movie, all things are treated with dignity and honor because they are divine like God. It's a movie about pantheism. And we love it. John Smith, Pocahontas. We don't realize that we are supporting Heresy. Pantheists are thinking in spatial terms. 
In doing so, they've confined God where? To creation. They are therefore committing the sin that Paul spoke about in Romans 125. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is to be blessed forever. Amen. Some of your ancestors and some of my ancestors danced around fires and worshiped the sun and worshiped the moon and worshiped the fire. Rather than worshiping the creator of the sun, the creator of the moon, the creator of that fire. No, brothers and sisters, God is not the flower pots outside. You can step on them and God won't be hurt. God is not the wind that will blow over you as you leave and exit this place. God is not the working ant outside, the bird who is building their nest or the mountain lion who is seeking its next prey. God is not those things. They are created things. God is not spatially limited to those creatures. God is not spatially limited to this earth or any other world for that matter or any other dimension. God transcends space and fills all of space. What's the other extreme? That is also heresy. If one is God is the world, the world is God. The other extreme is this. That God has divorced himself from the world altogether because he's not there. Atheism. Atheism. Atheism believes that God is not present in any way, shape, or form, that there is no existence outside this material world, that there is simply matter, and that also is heresy. So one says God is all here, the other one said God is nowhere. No, brothers and sisters. Our position is that there is a creator. There is a God, there is a creation, and we are his creator, creations. This destroys Both of those extremes, our position affirms that God is other than creation. There can be no pantheism because God is not the world. And yet there can God is not absent from the world. So there can be no atheism, no deism or no agnosticism. So then what is the relationship between God and the world? It is a relationship of a creator and his creation, a creator And his creation. And in that relationship, the creator is other than the creation. But he is free to act within that creation, his creation. In other words, God is both transcendent from his creation and he is also eminent within his creation. When God is free from creation and exists as the creator outside of his creation, he then has the freedom, sovereignty, And dominion to fill all of creation with his presence as creator. While at the same time not being limited or bound to this creation in any way, shape, or form. But doesn't God dwell in heaven? Yes. God manifests his glory in a special, unique way in heaven. But that does not mean that God spatially limits himself to heaven. Does that make sense? He's there, but it doesn't mean that he's limited himself to there. He's there, but it doesn't mean that he's confined himself to that space. Heaven does not sum up the existence of God in space. Again, it means that he simply has chosen to freely display his glory there. Let's move to our second point. God does not exist in time. This, brothers and sisters, I confess is much more difficult than explaining space. 
God does not exist in time the way that you and I know existence in time. Just as God transcends space and fills all of space, God also transcends time and fills all of time. In theology, this is called God's eternity or his omnitemporality. Omnitemporality. God is timeless. Brothers and sisters, you and I only know life in terms of time. Some of the questions that you'll be asked today. You won't be asked this, but some of the questions you've been asked in your life. When were you born? When's your birthday? Hey, how old are you today? What time did you wake up? What time will you go to sleep? Where will you go when you leave? These are all questions that are related to time. You right now are being aware of how long I'm preaching. And what you will do after this, it's all time. It's all time related. We came into being at a certain point, And then from that point, we are becoming as time passes. We came into being, into existence at one point, And from that point of existence, of being, we are now becoming. We are constantly changing over time. We are becoming In one way or another, we are changing. We are, again, becoming. Intellectually, we are becoming. Physically, we are becoming. Emotionally, we are becoming. We're changing. Spiritually, we are changing. We are constantly becoming what we were not. And this process is taking place over time. Over time, let's take this a step further. You ever looked at an old picture of yourself and asked yourself, what has happened to me? (laughs) You see that, right? Don't you see? Where did I go? What has happened to all of us? And how long has it been? You look at that picture and say, that was just yesterday. Where did my cheeks bones go? They've exploded, you know? That shirt used to fit me. That was my favorite shirt. You know, all of that. Where did my hair go? Remember when you used to be able to comb it and now it's just gone? Or remember the color it was. Gosh, that color. All of the things that we look at and we look at them with nostalgia because time has happened to us. Hasn't it? You can look at pictures and say, that's when I used to be able to run that fast or you could even look at yourself in pictures and say what a mess I was emotionally at that time what a mess I was spiritually at that and people only knew what was going on in me at that time and now you are here and so much has changed so much has happened all of the changes And I'll leave all the changes to you in your diary. But all of the changes that have happened between then and now, they are amazing. You are becoming what you were not. Even if that means that you're becoming older and dying and where you were younger and more healthy, you are becoming what you were not. You are constantly in a state of change. We have, this is a word, we have potentiality we have potentiality the potential to become things 
We become things. We increase. We diminish. All of these things, again, happen over time. This is how we know life. We don't know life apart from these realities. And think about this now. Everything that I just described, everything that is true about us in the changes that take place over time is not true about God. Is not true about God. You see pictures of God. People try to to draw pictures of God with white hair and a white beard. What does that imply? That he's old. The Bible calls him the ancient of days. What does that mean? It means one without days. Doesn't mean that he's the old man upstairs. That he walks around with a cane? Does it mean that he's just this, this man with, with wrinkles? God is not a man as you and I are. God is a spirit. He's not affected by age and time. God does not have potentiality. God does not have potentiality. God cannot increase. Imagine the fact, the thought that God had the potential to increase. Imagine the, the thought that God could potentially become what he was not. He would cease to be God if that was the case. If God could become something that he was not, then he is not the infinite one. Then he is changing. And if he's changing, brothers and sisters, you should be scared. If God is going through changes, you should be afraid. That God could grow. That God could become anything. Increase, grow. No, God is pure being, no becoming. God is pure being, no becoming. He is all that he is all at once. God has, is, 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 has no beginning. God has no end. There is no becoming in God because God does not exist in time the way that you and I exist in time. He transcends time and yet fills all of time. Just as God transcends all, Space and fills all of space. God also transcends time and fills all of time. And God's freedom from time is not simply that God does not need a watch. It's not just that. Or that it takes him no time to go from point A to point B. Because he's already in all places at once. God transcends time. And fills all of time. He exists outside of time. And then, this, and then he works inside of time. So that for God, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. What does that mean? That it took God 6,000 days, 6,000 years to create the world? No. Here's what it means. You've heard that verse before. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. How many of you have heard that before? Praise God. You know what that means? That time is nothing to God. That time doesn't. God does not operate on time the way you and I operate on time. It means time does not exist in God's world. So you may be saying, how long, God? God is saying, I don't know, when I'm ready. There's no time for me. There's no time frame for me. God is eternally willed. God would not say, I don't know when I'm ready. God would say, I'm sorry. God would say, I have eternally decreed a time. Amen. 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 We're talking about God's eternity. And and I would like for you not to think of this, not to think of of a line that stretches eternally from left to right and that God has eternally existed on that line. No, God transcends that line. 
There is no line for God that doesn't exist in his world. Do you see, though, even our best attempts to explain this great truth, we are constantly coming up coming against coming up against linguistic disadvantages our words will not fully capture the depth of this of what this means every way we talk about everything that we talk every way that we talk is intenses past present and future that's all the only way we know how to speak our language traps everything in time and it's not so for god God is not limited by time. He is what he has always been. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is all that he is, plainly and simply. There are no changes in God's essence. He may do different things in his energies, but not in his essence. The theologians have called this, I have said that, that God is pure act. God is pure act. God is not stationary. God is not static. God is not immobile. God fills all of time. But listen, God also acts within time. He fills time, transcends time, and also acts within time. God is not sitting on a chair somewhere, spinning the globe in his hand. God is not doing that. God is pure act. He is active in his creation. When, when, while God does exist outside of time, it does not mean that God is inactive in time. He is active. He is doing things. Active in his creation. He is active in his creation. And there is nothing that any creature can do in his creation that can cause God to do, some, to do what he's not already doing. Meaning this, your actions won't cause God to change his plans. Well, if I do this, I wonder if God will do that. And if I don't do that, I wonder if God will do this. Maybe if I start doing this, then God will start doing that for me. Or maybe if I start doing that, then God will start doing this for me. Do, do you see the way that we, we sometimes think that if we do certain things, that we can change God somehow? God, I promise if I do this, you'll start to do that. Do you realize that some of the things that you are asking or, or negotiating with God are things that, that God has eternally decreed in his word already? Repent and live. Now, God, if I turn from my sin, you're going to help me in my life. Well, he's already said that in his word. Now, God, if I, if I start being faithful in my giving, will you take care of me? He's already said that in his word. You're not changing anything that God has already, has already not already decreed. Does that make sense? There are no changes in God. Creaturely actions cannot bring about change in the essence of God. He's free from creation. God foreknew all things because God has foreordained all things, as Pastor John just said this past week, inside of time and space. God has decreed from eternity all things. And he has decreed from all eternity to interact with his creation in the ways that he has eternally decreed. Hopefully that made sense. God is merciful. And he's just at the same time. I, I'm sorry, Brother Mark. When God acts mercifully to a creature, he does not cease to be just. And vice versa. When, God, when God's actions are various towards his creatures, it brings about changes in who? You. 
not him. When God acts in various ways toward his creatures, who changes? God or you? You do. You're the one who changes. We, we heard about this recently in Malachi when Pastor Zay was teaching and in Jonah when I was teaching. What happened? God sends Jonah to preach to Nineveh. Nineveh repents. Who changed? God or Nineveh? Nineveh changed. Not God. Nineveh repents. God shows mercy to them. Nineveh changed without any change in God. Without any change in God, God may do various things in space and in time, but it does not change his essence in his justice. He remains merciful and in his mercy, he remains just. There is no change in God who transcends time and space. And yet he acts in time and space because he is free from time and space. God is who he is. Pure Simple essence, pure act. Amen. God is not unmoved. Or God is not unmoving, but unmoved. He is simple. He is immutable. He is impassable. Even as creator, God did not experience. When God decided to create, God didn't experience a change then. When God said, let there be light. God did not sit back before there was light and say, you know what would be a good idea? Making a world. I like that idea. Let's make a world. Let's start with light. No. God has eternally decreed creation and God has eternally been a creator. See how Ben even is, is, is a time? God has always, God is creator. And always has been. And even as I say these words, I am insufficiently explaining that God has eternally been a creator. See how I said it again? There was not a moment where he became. He has always been. Our confession. Chapter 2, paragraph 1. If you have it, praise God. If you don't, you should get it. It says this. The Lord, our God, is but one only living and true God whose whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. A most pure spirit, invisible, without parts, without body, parts or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light of which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and with all most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. And I can't even begin to explain the depths of that. That is our God. 
What encouragements then can we take away from the fact that God does not exist in space and in time the way that we exist in space and time? Three encouragements for you as we close. Number one, do not fear the day. Do not fear the day. Today. Matthew 6, 5. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus speaking on the Mount of Olives, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and body more than clothing. And the Lord concludes this portion by saying in verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious, will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In a sense, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, don't worry about time. Don't fear today. Don't fear what will happen tomorrow. Don't fear what will happen next year, next month, so on and so forth. Brothers and sisters, time is in the hands of the sovereign creator. God Almighty has time. Don't worry about what will happen. God is in control. God, and, and, and be encouraged by this, God is not waiting to see what will happen. He has already decreed all things. He's not trapped in a sequence of history and, and seeing what North Korea will do or seeing what Russia will do. God has already decreed all things. So when we worry about all those things, we are Showing that we do not fully trust that God is in control. What will happen tomorrow to me? What will happen tomorrow to him, to her? Will they be okay? What will ha- Who knows? God knows. Therefore, trust the one who knows. And then when those things happen or don't happen, trust that all things are being sovereignly decreed by God who has ordained all things. When they happen or don't happen, time is in his hands. God knows best. Be encouraged by that. The end has already been written. And it's written to you and to I. It's already been written. Be encouraged. That God has promised to to bring you safely to glory. And he will fulfill that promise. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about the the seconds, the minutes, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months and years. They are in God's hands. They are in God's hands. They're not spinning randomly out of control. Do you realize that? They will be a shock to you, but not a shock to God. Trust God. There is no thing that is acting outside of the hands of God. Secondly, long for tomorrow or long for eternity. Long for it. Do you look forward to tomorrow or do you dread it? Do you look forward to eternity after this life? Or do you dread it? If you are sitting and you say, I'm scared of God in the sense that you are scared of his wrath. If you're not a believer, you should be scared of his wrath. 
But if you are a believer, you should long to stand before the very presence of God. Isn't that your great hope? That you will stand before God and that his, his, his verdict toward you will be not guilty. Isn't that what you long for? That you will stand before him and the blood of Christ will be upon you. And he will say, not guilty. Long for tomorrow. Long for eternity. It can be difficult to long for tomorrow. To long for eternity. Because we live in the present. And all we see are the difficulties and struggles of today. In our present experience. And so therefore it's hard to look beyond today. When all you can see are the troubles of today. But the Apostle Paul gives us great encouragement. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Though this outer shell, the one that you look at in the picture and say, what has happened to me, is wasting away, the inner man is day by day being renewed by God. For this light, he says, light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all our comprehension or or beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, not to this world and what we experience daily and what we struggle through daily. We don't look to this world. We look to the world to come. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing. They are passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. They are eternal. Brothers and sisters, don't be so consumed with now. Because now is not your forever. Look forward to eternity. Look forward to eternity. The present difficulties and afflictions, yes, they are difficult. But they are also sanctifying us. They are also renewing us day by day away from this world and unto Christ. And they are momentary. They are momentary. They and there will be by the grace of God. There will come a day when life as we know it, life that is confined to space and time, will be no more. When trouble as we know it will be no more. When there will be no more tears and no more pain. And when you will forever be in the presence of the lover of your souls. For all eternity, you will discover without ever coming to a full knowledge of God. You will be forever discovering God and never coming to a full knowledge of God, even in heaven. That's the joy of eternity. That's the joy of eternity. Don't think, as I've heard Pastor John say before, don't think that you just got a big mansion up in heaven. Plasma, 3D, whatever you think it's going to be, that that's going to be your joy in heaven. Not at all. The joy of heaven is Christ. 
The joy of heaven is Christ. The joy of, of heaven is, is, is the in, incomprehensibleness of God. The, the inexhaustibleness of our God. The joy of eternity will, 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 will be that there, there is constant learning and growing and discovering and exploring the wonders and mysteries of our God without ever coming to a full understanding of them. That is the joy of heaven. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're bored, you don't want to go to heaven. I might be one of your teachers in heaven. No, I, I will not. There will not be, this will not be a subject that you get and then move on to another one. You'll stay on this forever. It will be the delight of your souls forever. Look forward to that. Look forward to eternity. Forever exploring the depths of the mysteries of God. Listen, in the presence of God. And third and finally. Presently, commune with God. Presently, commune with God. Hebrews 10, 24 And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Dear ones, God has been good to us. God transcends time and space. And yet he manifests his presence in special ways. He manifests himself in his presence in special ways. When the temple of the Old Testament was built God told Solomon he did not need a house. So then why did God commission the building and constructing of the temple? Because he needed a house? No. It was for the sake of his people. It was to be a means of grace for his people. The the all-present, omnipresent God makes himself available to his people in special and local ways. First of all, he makes himself uh, available in his presence through the indwelling Holy Spirit, whereby we are now temples of God himself. He makes himself present in you. The one who transcends all space and time, who doesn't exist the way that we know existence, has made himself present in you, who have repented And trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. He's made himself present in you. We have the Holy Spirit who God has given us. Secondly, we experience God's presence corporately when we, the people of God, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves for worship, but gather. The Lord is present with us. He has made himself present. Present with us. Think about this again. The maker of the universe. The one who is free from all creation. Who transcends space. Fills all of space. Makes himself present in a space. Not completely. Not fully. No, yes. Completely here. (laughs) Completely here and completely there. Everywhere. And when we gather for worship, he makes himself present with us. Fully. Can you imagine that? And yet, the eternal one has, has 
decreed that when we gather, he will gather with us. But we have other gatherings that we would like to go to instead. There are other gatherings that are more important for us. We would rather meet with the NBA. And here's the funny thing about us Christians. We condemn the thief, the liar and the coveter. But we say nothing to the one who forsakes the assembling of the brethren. Are they both not commands? Is it is it a command, negative command? Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Yes. Is it a positive command? Do not forsake this, the assembling of yourselves. Yes. But no big deal. I'll just catch it on, on the podcast. That was deep, wasn't it, sister? No big deal. I'll just eat some bread and juice at the house when God has made himself present for us at his table. Other things are more important. Other places are more important. Is this not the Lord's day? Is this not the Lord's day Sabbath? Absolutely it is. What are we to do on the Lord's day Sabbath? To worship God. To meet with his people. To sing songs of worship. But Pismo is more important. Disneyland is more important. No. It's amazing to me. That the one who has transcended all of time has made himself present with us. And we don't want it. We have been deceived, brothers and sisters, into thinking that this day is just like any other day, unless it's Easter or Christmas. Then it's unique. Not what Scripture says. God has provided His Word in this time of worship, and it is a great benefit for your souls. Isn't it? Don't you feel great nourishment? Aren't you well fed? Don't you drink and feel satisfied when you eat God's word, drink upon God's word, fellowship with the saints? Don't you feel that there is great benefit for your souls when you gather? Yes, it is called a means of grace. So then why would we forsake that? Oh, I say the person who forsakes it and forsakes it consistently has not truly been redeemed or regenerated. Don't want to meet? Don't want to gather? Well, there's something wrong in your understanding of what it means to be a believer, which means you may not be a believer. May not. Ponder on this for the rest of the day. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He transcends space and time. And what does he do? He steps into space. And he steps into time. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He who knew no space and knew no time. Stepped into space and stepped into time. That he might redeem a particular people and bring many sons to glory.
God is holy. And he has made himself available to those who recognize that they are not holy. That they have sinned in Adam, that they have rebelled against the righteous law of God. And that Christ has come, stepped into space, stepped into time, lived the perfect life in obedience to the law of God, died a death that sinners, rebellious sinners deserved, and rose from the grave, conquering sin, death, and the grave, and showing that the Father accepted his sacrifice, and that he was our substitute for those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Is that you this morning? If it's not, I encourage, I encourage you, repent of your sins. Trust in Christ alone. Trust in Christ alone. He has made himself available to us now. His spirit has accompanied his word. And now he is once again providing a means of grace for you at his table. Let's stand.